We are currently talking about in this series, God's faithfulness in every generation. When we look, though, at our own populace, the people around us, the current generations, the upcoming generations, sometimes you might be questioning, like, is God faithful in our generations? Because there's sometimes you can almost see, like, God's hand being, like, taken off. You're like, man, our culture is just getting further and further and further away from the truth of the gospel, away from who God is. So, like, is God faithful in this next generation? And I think we ask ourselves that question. But if we go to the core of Scripture, we would say, no, God is faithful in every generation. There is text after text after text that shows and proves God's faithfulness. So it's not that God is not faithful. It's on us, <laughs> just point blank. It's on us. It's on us as humans, as Christ followers, as the church, as, as, as everybody, that we tend to take steps away from the truth of who God is. And so we've been in this series, and one of the main verses that we've been centering on is Psalm 145, verses 3 through 7. We're going to have that on the screen, and I want us to read this out loud all together, um, just these verses. We've been doing this every single Sunday in this series. So here we go, Psalm 145. If you're at home, say it out loud in your living room, wherever you're watching today's service, say it out loud. So Psalm 145, 3 through 7. Great is the Lord, he is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles. Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. I will proclaim your greatness. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will sing with joy about your righteousness. So the core of those verses is putting the onus on us that we will tell of the goodness of God, that we will share of the miracles that God is doing for these upcoming generations, for our current generations, but those that are following. Okay, so the onus is on us. We get that. Well, how do we do this? How do we do that? Well, I believe God's word gives some great insight. We've been talking about the, the last couple of weeks, but today we're talking about how to prepare for adolescence. What about those kids that are starting to get in those junior high, high school, young adult, that type of ages? Like, how do we live this life when the culture is so demanding and so, I would say, far from God? How do we do that? Well, I believe, again, God's word gives some, excuse me, gives some great insight and some case studies that we can learn from and grow from. And like we're talking about already today in Pentecost Sunday, we have a great advocate in the Holy Spirit to help us lead well in these times. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that we can gather here. And like Pastor Mark was saying earlier, that we have the gift of the Holy Spirit to empower us, that we can be bold witnesses for your truth and for your gospel to all people, not just some people, but to all people. 
We can't do this on our own. We need your power. We need your help. So Lord, we are thankful for your Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, speak through me this morning. Open our hearts and minds so that we are encouraged, but we are challenged by your truth and about us responding to the transformation that you've already started and are still continuing to do in our hearts and minds. Jesus, we love you. We give you this day. Amen. Well, having worked with youth for a large portion of my life, uh, since 2005, I've been a youth leader, a youth pastor. I was a teacher for a number of years. I'm still a youth leader with our amazing youth group, AMP, AMP Youth Ministries. I just love hanging out with youth youth kids. It's just a blast. I feel like it keeps you young. But although recently I've realized I'm getting old, I'm I'm 34, so I'm not like old, old. (laughs) I say that, everybody's like, oh, here we go again. The young guy saying he's old, like, you have no idea. But seriously, like, I I don't get this, these, some of the lingo. And so I always have these youth students. I'm like, hey, I'm hearing this. Like, what does this mean? They're like, oh, this means that. And I'm like, Dude, I am so, like, I'm not cool anymore, and I realize that I'm owning it. And it's all good. But I love hanging out with youth. And I, I would say I've seen firsthand the frustration in the next generation. I'm like, come on, guys. Like, don't you get it? Right? You just see it. It just feels like a brick wall. And I've seen the frustration in them towards the other generations. It's a, it's a two-way street. But I've also seen, the God, uh, I've seen God do um, miraculous things in and throughout the young people in the next generation. So again, we're going to talk about how do we prepare our hearts and minds as parents, as people of the church, to continue on the goodness of God in the next generation. So parents, lean in into today's conversation. But if you also have a heart for the young people, lean in as well. Be ready to receive and to be challenged, to be encouraged for what God is doing and what he can do through us to help people know Jesus and to live for him daily. So let's get to know the next generation. They're commonly referred to as Gen Z. Gen Z is the next generation. They're individuals born from 1999 to 2015. This is kind of like this next generation of people who are coming in. And so some of you might be young adults already. Some of you might be coming into those junior high teen years. Well, that's Gen Z. They've essentially have always lived in a post 9-11 world. So they might have been two, maybe three when 9-11 happened. Probably don't remember all of those events, but they've grown up now in a world that's been post 9-11. And that's dramatically shaped their worldview in a couple of different ways. It shaped it in how they deal with tragedy. They're actually a lot more flexible when it comes to traumatic events because they've always lived in a world with a heightened fear of security and safety. So to them, it's kind of just normal to feel unsafe, which sounds like a weird statement even coming out of my mouth. But that's the truth this generation has lived in. Just a few weeks ago in our uh, youth group, I was laughing with some junior high kids. My wife and I went to Texas, and we are, you know, dealing with airports. We have small kids. It's just kind of a hassle going through airports with a four-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old, and our kid p- 
puked, like, on the airplane, where it's like, oh, my gosh, like, help us, right? It was just, like, not a fun, like, series of, of events that happened. And I was like, yeah, like, I remember back in the day, like, in airports before 9-11, like, you could have your family and friends meet you at the gate when you come off the airplane to, like, help you with, like, a puking child. Like, can you take this kid, right, and, like, just have that help? doesn't happen, right? Before, you could literally go through a metal detector, give a high five to security guard and say, all right, I'm going to go see my family and friends. And you could have your own water bottle filled with water. And it was okay, right? They were like, wait, you, could, you, you were able to do that? Yeah, it's a different time, right? There's dramatic differences that are happy, happening. So again, Gen Z is growing up in a different world, and that has shaped who they are and how they process events and what happens. Here's a quick little statistic and kind of a little graph that I made that's essentially from um, a book that's out on our resource table. It's also linked in our resources pages on our website. But it just kind of gives an overview of Gen Z and how they are essentially the most unchurched or de-churched generation in America, which is really fascinating. You're probably like, yeah, that makes sense. Seems like every generation it's getting worse and worse. So you can see it up on, on, on the screen here. And if you're a mathematician and you add up all of the percentages, it, it adds up to 99%. There's a 1% error in there, so don't be like, it's false. There's just a 1% error in there, so don't worry. But 9% of young people are highly engaged in their Christian faith, which means they attend church regularly or they serve and attend at other types of services. They agree to the inerrancy of God's word, and they would say Jesus is Lord. Then 33% are, uh, are church Christians, which means they've been to church at least once in the last six months. And they most likely would say, yeah, Jesus is Lord, but they wouldn't be like 100%. Like, oh, there's probably, you know, some wiggle room in there. Then we have unchurched Christians, 16%, which says they don't really go to church and they don't have a defined set of beliefs that would be called Christian. They might generally believe in like God and a higher power, but not that Jesus is the only way. 7%, a different faith. And 34% have no faith, just nothing. That'd be either atheist, agnostic, whatever it might be. They have no faith. Now, I wanna just balance that really quick. We'll leave that graph up there so you can write things down if you want and just look at it. Um, but Gen X, just two generations above Generation Z, are people who are born from 1964 to 1983. Now, their stats are a little bit different. I don't have them on the screen. I'm just going to share them quickly. Only 12% claim no faith. So Gen Z, 34% say, I don't have any faith. Generation X, only 12% a lot lower. And then over 60% of Generation X would say they have an absolute belief in God. They have a pretty strong faith in who God is. It's a lot different than what we see here with Generation Z. Now, why I'm sharing Generation X, Generation Z, is because I love the alphabet. No, it's because they're the most closely related. Most of the kids that are in Generation Z are from Generation X as their parents. That's kind of the, the relationship there. Or a lot of their leaders, coaches, whoever it might be, are in that generation. 
And so what's interesting is, number one, this just doesn't give us who are not in those generations, like we're off the hook. Like if you're a baby boomer or even above that, you're like, oh, sweet, I've done my job. Like, it's all your guys' issue. It's all your problem. Or me being a millennial, like, I'm in the middle. I don't do anything. <laughs> no, like, we're all responsible and we're all called to share the goodness of God for the next generation. But I want to do this. So we kind of have some understanding now of who this next generation is. And a lot of them are coming into adolescence or right smack dab in the middle of it. And there is a lot of pressure on them about who to be, how to think, and what to do. And so I want to just go to a couple of stories, actually one big story in the Old Testament that I think gives us some great insight and some good jumping points about how do we do this? How do we actually prepare our kids for adolescence? So it's coming from uh, the book of Judges. Now to give a little bit of context in what's happening. So Moses, pinnacle of the Old Testament, he takes the, the Jewish people out of Egypt, leads them across the desert in the, in, in the middle of that. He transfers his power to Joshua. So Joshua then takes over and actually leads the people into the promised land. Then Joshua says, all right, we're going to settle this place. So all the tribes go and get their stake of land that's been promised to them and given to them. They're still fighting about it to this day, right? Just the last couple of weeks, we've seen the news, Israel and Palestine. But this is God's promised land to them that they are now t like taking because it is theirs. is what God has given to them. And so Joshua, at the end of his life, is saying, all right, like, you guys go. You guys go settle the land. Take the land that is promised to you, but stay true to God. Stay true to his covenant promise. And they're like, yeah, we're going to do that. It's this big celebration and ceremony. They're like, we're going to stick to the Lord. It's going to be amazing. He's like, sweet. So we're going to pick up here in Judges chapter 2, 6 through 10. This is from the New Living Translation. After Joshua sent the people away, each of the tribes left to take possession of the land allotted to them. And the Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who outlived him. Those who had seen, and that's clear right there, it's really important, seen, which means they were witnesses to the power of God. They saw it with their own eyeballs. They were there. They were present. They experienced it. So those who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Verse 8. Joshua, son of Nun, servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. They buried him in the land he had been allocated at Tamathserah in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. Now verse 10. After that generation died, is the generation of Joshua and some of those leaders that were with him and were like the solid people. Another generation grew up who did not acknowledge. That word acknowledge is huge. It doesn't mean that God was not working and doing things. They just decided to not acknowledge that that was the Lord working. That was his miraculous power at work. They didn't acknowledge it. The Lord will remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. Now what happens, if you read through the rest of the book of Judges, 
is this vicious cycle, downward spiral of the nation of Israel. And then God sends judges to judge the people. He kind of picks them back up, but it only lasts for like a generation. And then that generation forgets, goes back to their idols, and it gets worse and worse and worse. When you read in the last few chapters of the book of Judges, it is horrible what is happening. It is really disgusting the things that are happening. Because in the Bible, you might be like, what, does that mean it's celebrated? No. What's, it's in the Bible because it's showing you how deep and how dark the heart of man can be when they don't have God in their life. The author of Judges has this phrase that they weave in after every kind of vicious cycle. And it says this, in those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. That phrase is repeated time and time again throughout the book of Judges. In those days, Israel had no king. The people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Essentially, they were postmodern before postmodern was cool. <laughs> like way back when. They did, they did whatever they wanted to do because they had no king. They had no leader. They had nobody who was ushering them into the presence of God and saying, this is important. This is something we need to do. So the nation was failing and going down and down. So again, does this mean that God is not faithful? No. Does it mean that he's abandoned the next generation? No. What it means is this. We're the ones at fault. So our first point for this is God is faithful. We are not. That's something that we need to reconcile and take in. That God is faithful. He is there forever and ever. We are the ones that are not. This leads to the promise of Jesus, right? God is faithful time and time again, and humans go against him time and time again. So he says, you know what? Because of my mercy and my grace, and I'm faithful to my promise, I'm sending my one and only son for you to be the covering that you need because you cannot do this. You cannot do this because we, we are helpless in that. We need an advocate. We need help. So God is faithful. We are not. So again, we read time and time again about God continually fulfilling his promises and also never withdrawing from his word. He is always true to what he says. The people, on the other hand, us, we tend to drift. We can make a promise like they did to Joshua, like we're gonna worship God for all time and all glory and all these things, and they just stop. <laughs> they get inundated with, with, with the culture of the idols of the area, and they let that infiltrate who they are. But what we need to acknowledge, again, is that God has not abandoned us. He is present. He is working. And as parents, as people of the church who have a heart for the next generation, we are called to trust in God's faithfulness and to be witnesses through the power of the Holy Spirit. Today is Pentecost Sunday, like Pastor Mark was talking about earlier. It's a time to celebrate and remember when God's spirit was poured out, when the promise that Jesus spoke of was fulfilled and that we were empowered as the church to take this message of hope outward to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, 
to the ends of the earth, to take this forward. And so that also says in our current contexts, we have the power of the Holy Spirit to be bold witnesses when it seems like our culture is so lost and so far from God. Sure, does it make it harder to be a parent during this time? Yeah, it does. But do we have the Holy Spirit to to empower us? Yes, we do. And so that's what we need to believe in, and that's what we need to walk forward in during these times where it seems like it's helpless, but we have the power of the Holy Spirit to go forward. So again, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus, before he leaves, goes up to heaven and says, bye-bye, I'll be back soon. You don't know when, but I'll be back. He says to the disciples, you're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit to be witnesses, bold witnesses, not just like, hey, have you heard about Jesus? But bold witnesses, people who are empowered, where you're doing things that are not in your natural abilities, bold witnesses to all people in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. And I believe that as parents or as spiritual parents, as people of the church, we need to understand that it starts with us. It starts with us being transformed. It starts with us having that moment where we are experiencing the living and breathing God. A phrase that I've learned in my ministry life, and I share this every once in a while with with our worship team and other people is this. Our public ministry is a direct reflection of our private ministry. If as parents or Christ followers, people of the church, if we're wanting to see change in the world, in the culture, it starts with us. It starts with the Lord transforming who we are first. It starts in our own worlds, and then it goes outward, right? We have to have the, the change, the transformation from God. Now, I want to make something very, very clear. This is not another thing to do. It's simply a response of what God has done and is doing in our hearts and minds through his Holy Spirit. If we are not changed by the power of God through his Holy Spirit from the gospel message of hope, we're repeating the history of what we read about in Judges. We're going to lose a generation. We're going to lose a generation. And we're seeing the stats of that happening, the trends of people saying, ah, I don't care much about God. Like, what's so good about that? They don't care. And if we are not showing the change of our own lives outwardly to other people and to the generations, how are we going to expect them to also want that same change? If we're just kind of going by the wayside and saying, well, this is the right thing to do. This is what the Bible says and that and that but we ourselves are not being changed, it makes it very, very difficult to expect the next generation to say, yeah, I'm all in. They need to see change, and we have been changed. We have been. We want to have them come alongside to experience that as well. See, we receive power in the Holy Spirit. When we're raising our kids, or we're leading in youth groups or in the, in the marketplace. We have young people who, who see us as leaders or see us as somewhat of an authority. We have moments 
to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to lead them well. It can be scary. I'm not going to say this is not scary. The disciples, before the Holy Spirit came, they were scared. They were pooping their pants. They really were. They were afraid that, like, they didn't know what was going to happen. Jesus left. He died. And they're like, ah. But then the Holy Spirit came, and Peter, the guy who stinking denied Jesus three times, becomes the platform of the gospel message, right? That's amazing. He became a bold witness through the power of the Holy Spirit. Is it scary to parent during this culture? Yes. There are so many topics to navigate, so many hard things. But if we are led by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we will be able to be the bold witnesses that is needed to lead our next generation well. The Holy Spirit hasn't changed. He is the same as he was 2,000 years ago. Well, throughout the whole of Scripture, but when he was poured out on Pentecost Sunday. It's the same. And I believe when we read in what we saw in the book of Judges, there's a clear connection in the response of the people of, of, in, of, of the Israelites in Judges where they decided to really not acknowledge what God was doing and to show the experience that was happening and they had no king and so they just did whatever they felt like was good. It was a spiral down. They were not consoling themselves to who the Lord was and sharing of the goodness of God like Psalms 145 says. They were kind of like, eh, we'll just kind of do our own thing. We need to be sharing what God is doing. So our next point is this. Experience the power of God with the next generation. This is going to get to, I feel like, some of the, the practical parts of this, but really this message is not going to be a one, two, three. Here's how to be the best parent when it comes to the adolescence. Because it's really hard. I really feel like it's centered on the Holy Spirit power working through us. But experience the power of God with the next generation. Now I want to just share a little bit of my story of discipleship growing up. This last week, we had the Bits family and my parents um, share during a live stream event about parenting, the good, the bad, and the stinky. Um, and they just shared their hearts, how their experience was in raising kids um, that are now full grown and just the hardships, the mistakes, the good, the bad, and the stinky. And what I loved about it is it was real, it was authentic, it was who they were. And what was really cool too is there was a lot of similarities in their hearts. There's also some differences too which is good because there's not a one way to do this. But I want to share something and kind of add on a little bit to what my parents had talked about in that live stream. And if you have a chance, if you didn't see it, if you're a parent, um, on our YouTube channel, also on our podcasts, uh, on iTunes and Spotify, just type in Cheney Face Center. It'll take you there and you can kind of search through the different episode lists. And I'd really encourage you to listen to it or watch it. But, but, but uh, my parents said something that was interesting. And I was like, yeah, and I want to kind of add to that. Their model of discipleship wasn't super typical. We never really did like book studies around the table or we read the Bible together as a family. We grew up in a very small Pentecostal church. It's now called the Dream Center. They're part of the, the Dream Center organization from LA and their heart is to witness the gospel to people who are homeless, in drugs, 
come out of drug rehab, come out of jail, really a lot of strongholds in their life. That's their ministry. And the people who came to this church, it was a small church, were in that avenue. And the people, uh, the, the, the pastors of this church were Holy Spirit and power, and they had a heart, and they would take on anyone and everyone who needed a touch of the Holy Spirit, who needed breaking of a stronghold. And my parents had that same heart as well. But during this time, I was about three, up until about 10 years old, um, I was just brought in to the ministry. My parents were there a lot, praying for people, ministering to people. And as a three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old, I was there. And then, man, some things that were amazing happened. When I was about six years old, it became real. I, I gave my life to Jesus. It was very, very clear. I remember it. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I initiated my spiritual language as a little tiny kid. And I think I have a picture of, of me as a second grader. My mom was going to share this. <laughs> right there. The toothless prayer warrior, man. That was me, a little second grader, just praying for people. I'm going to pray for you. That was me, man. But I had a strong childlike faith. I prayed for men and women with my parents that were coming out of jail that had strong addictions, that were sometimes demon-possessed and manifesting like you read in the gospel accounts. Like those things were happening. And I just prayed for them. I saw my, pray, my, my, my parents pray for them. I saw my pastors praying for them. I saw them doing what was just asked of them because they knew that God was gonna heal those people. It was scary as a kid, but man, I saw that again, the faith of my parents the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit, it was undeniable. I followed because I had seen what God was doing. I had heard and I had experienced the power of God myself. I remember there was one time, there was a kid who was about my age. He had um, an eye disorder where his eyes were always crossed. They couldn't go straight. He had these really, really thick glasses and our pastor's like, we're gonna pray for him. And Coop, I want you to pray for him. I was like eight years old. And I'm like, yeah, I've seen people be healed before. I'll pray for him. Started praying for him. Literally his eyes shoop, went back normal. Didn't have to wear glasses ever again his entire life. That was just like normal things. I was like, yeah, God does miracles. God does things, right? There was an experience that was happening that was life-changing. And I believe that when we fail to declare that, it makes it really easy for the next generation to slowly slip out. If they're not put in positions to experience those things, to see them, to witness them, we're missing out. Now let's fast forward to when I was 15 years old, sophomore in high school, in the heart of adolescence. I had a lot of friends. I was kind of a popular dude. A lot of my friends I grew up with playing sports and kind of in the upper crowd or whatever, started making some pretty bad decisions. I was just following suit. Not fully with them, but kind of with them. Started engaging in some drugs, alcohol, different things like that. I was kind of like, yeah, I don't really love doing this, but uh, whatever. I was kind of followed into this lifestyle. And I remember, though, there was a moment, but the fourth or fifth time that I was making some really bad decisions, and my friends were like wanting to amp it up. Their parents were gone. It was an open house. And they had some drugs that were a lot harder than what was being used at the time. 
And I was just like, wait, what is going on? I'm 15. I'm like, what? And I had this moment, and I know now it was the Holy Spirit, but I literally got sick to my stomach. Just like this gut punch feeling of like, this is not good. Almost like an outer body experience. Like if you have the flu and you are getting ready to puke, you just feel like you're not like in your own like body. You're just like, oh, like this is weird, whatever. And that was happening. I remember it so vividly. All I could see was my friends being distant and dark. And so I grabbed the phone. This was back before cell phones were a thing for kids. When this, my friend had that whole, you know, 25 foot long spiral cord. On the, on the wall phone, took it, went out in the back porch, dialed my mom and said, Mom, I'm, I'm not doing too good. I need, I, I need you to pick me up. Some things are happening and, and can you come get me? I'm at my friend's house and told her where I was at. She's like, absolutely. Here, here's the thing, talking with my mom about this even recently, but throughout my life is she knew the entire time what I was doing. She literally did. She knew that moment she knew the other moments. She knew. But what she also knew is that the Holy Spirit inside of me was way stronger, way bigger than any of those stupid, dumb decisions that I was making. And he was going to win. He was going to have the victory. And that was the truth because I had experienced, I had witnessed the goodness of God and that was not going to be taken away. She had seen me pray for people and be healed. She had seen me prophesy over people. She had seen people prophesy over me. She knew that the experience that I had seen what the Lord was doing was real and evident. She didn't come and say, all right, we're gonna do a book study now about this and this and this because you've made a lot of mistakes. No, she just said, Coop, you made the right decision, man. I'm so sorry you were in those decisions. God forgives you. God has grace in your life. But man, the Holy Spirit is strong in you. You're doing good things. It was a pivotal moment. And even past that, no idea, our family actually moved like five months later. My dad had some job issues. We had to move down to Boise, Idaho. I had, we had no idea that was happening. The Lord literally removed me out of that friend group to Boise, Idaho and gave me an opportunity to restart a whole new life that was God honoring to take me out of those circumstances. God was moving and I could have even in that moment been like, this is so dumb, losing all my friends. But no, I believe that God was working and there was miraculous things, not just coincidences. I was acknowledging the Lord in every single situation. Yeah, there was times where I was angry. There was times that it wasn't perfect. I'm not saying I'm a perfect kid by any means. But man, when we have experienced the Lord, what he's done through his spirit, we can truly, truly know that God is real and God is true. So it's not just about knowledge or attendance. It's also about experiencing the living God. And I wanna, say, I wanna kind of make sure this makes sense. Knowledge and attendance is very, very good. It's not bad. But man, it's also about experiencing the living God. It's about the, the Lord being real in your own lives as parents and faith leaders within the church to see the miraculous works that God is doing in you so that they too are like, wow, that's real. See, when we experience something, we have a higher tendency to trust 
or be loyal to whatever that thing is for a lot longer. And I believe when it comes to spirituality, for forever, right? Taste and see that the Lord is good. So now it comes to just a few practicalities. When we come into the hard conversations of adolescence, that adolescence brings, sex, sexuality, gender, race, politics, suffering, mental health, you name it, it's there. If they're hearing the truth from God's word about these things, but have not seen for themselves and the people who are telling them these things, walk it out, or they themselves showing a change of heart, a God experience, it just becomes another option on the table for them to pick from. And I know that sounds a little abrupt, but I say it in all truth and all sincerity. When we as parents or spiritual leaders are saying, well, this is what God's word says. If we're just saying that, but not also showing the transformation in our own lives, Gen Z is looking through that like, whatever. Like you're not fully into this. We have to, we are called to by scripture to have the change in our own life so that when we talk about these topics, sex and sexuality and gender, those are being the the hot topics right now in this next generation. They say, oh, yeah, there's been transformation in in their life. Like there's something about this God thing that they're pointing me to. See, God is not in the business of making more moral people. He is after the complete restoration of a person's soul to renew the heart and mind. It is in our response of this truth that we live moral lives. That's who we are now. Romans 12, 2 says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform. That right there is, that means God is the one who is transforming you. You're experiencing the living God. He is molding you and shaping you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. When we are transformed and we continue to submit to his transformation, we experience God because only God transforms through his Holy Spirit. So again, this message is not a one, two, three. Here's how you have the sex talk with your kid. It's gonna be, hey, do you believe that you're forgiven from a life that you once lived where you maybe didn't submit to God's plan of sex and sexuality and you feel ashamed to even have that talk with your son or daughter because you've messed up. You feel like, why, I'm not adequate enough to talk to them about this. Have you come to a place of knowing the forgiveness of God and sharing that story with your son and daughter and saying, you know what? I didn't do things right, but here's what I know is God is a God of forgiveness. He has changed my life and I wanna share that with you. That right there gives you so much relational currency and so much inroads to the young generation. It is is just life-changing. It's not about here's the best way to bring this topic up. It's being real. It's telling them how you've experienced the transformation of God. Because we are a new creation. Let's walk out 
that lifestyle of being a new creation. Share your story with Jesus and share how God has redeemed you. Now, saying that, I do want to point to some resources. And we have a lot of great ones out in the commons on our website as well, linked in our resources page. But it's, it's from one of our main organizations that I help serve with. Um, they're amazing people. They're called Project 619. That's their website. There's two things that I would really point parents to or people who are leading others um, that are in that adolescent stage and you have some, I guess, leadership into their lives. First one is Sex and the Christian Parents. It's a podcast. There's many different episodes. They come from an historical uh, Christian view of sex and sexuality, and they hit all the topics from gender to same-sex attraction to transgenderism, all sorts of things. How to share your story if you've had a life that wasn't honoring to God. Like, it is all there. It is helpful. The other one is called The Very Good Sex Talk. It's on their website. It's an e-course, and it just empowers you as parents to have that conversation as well. So I would point you to that in the commons. We have little QR codes that you can scan through your phone. It takes you right there to those things. But I'll say those are great resources to start in this conversation. So how do we prepare our kids for adolescence? Well, I hope throughout this time you've heard that it comes down to us living out and responding to the transformation that God has done in our own lives outwardly. But I also say a few other little practicalities that brings the next generation into environments to experience God as well. Ask your kids to pray for you. Ask your kids to pray for you when you're not doing good. Say, hey, can you, can you, can you pray for me? I remember a, a couple of times when, when my dad had gone through some different job issues and in, co- in the corporate world of downsizing and downsizing, he had come to a point where he was pretty broken. It was his third downsizing and he had lost his job and he's just like, man, I got kids in high school, one going to college. Like, what the heck? He was broken. So my brother and I, we did what we knew what to do. And that was to pray and lay hands on my dad and to just lift him up in prayer. Because we had seen and we had done that so much in our lives. It was second nature. So ask your kids to pray for you. When they're four or five, when they're two, like just say, hey, mom's not doing too good today. Can you pray for me? Make that a regular habit because it helps them know and experience the living God in your life. I would say turn off the devices. Have time to just sit and talk and share what God is doing in your life with one another. Share how God is transforming you into the image of Christ, the good and the bad. Don't be afraid to pray for people in public. I say that because it's like, what? What are you talking about? Hey, if we're bold witnesses through the Holy Spirit, we can do this. I remember so many times my mom praying for people in public when I was a kid. It, I hated it. I'll just say it. I hated it. I remember in junior high, I, was, I thought I was the coolest kid, in the, you know, I had all the cool, like, Tommy Hilfiger stuff on. And my mom would pray for a person in the grocery store. I'd be like, oh, my gosh. Like, my friends see me, like, it's going to be the end of me in my social hierarchy at my junior high. But, man, I would see the Lord work in those moments. My mom would minister to that person. They'd be crying. There'd be amazing things. And, yeah, I was uncomfortable during the time. But those spiritual deposits were huge later on in my life. They were vital to what was happening in those desert seasons where I was, quote unquote, 
not living for the Lord in every decision. I remember those times of like, man, those are huge. Like, it's real. God is real. So put your kids, put yourself in positions to experiencing the living God. So our last two questions are this. How are we making God real in our personal lives, in church lives? And is the next generation seeing us experience God? Think through those and reflect on those as a parent, as a leader in the faith, and moving forward. I'm gonna pray for us, and we'll be out of here. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your Holy Spirit. Thank you that we can have the empowerment that only you provide to live a life worthy of you, that's honoring of you, as we are bold witnesses for you, Lord. It's only because of the Holy Spirit flowing through us. God, I'm praying for tonight at our worship night that we would not only expect the miraculous, but we would see the miraculous so that we would know and we would see the living God. So Jesus, I'm praying ahead for that right now, Lord. And God, we know this is a hard time, a difficult time to raise kids and to see the next generation be raised. But Lord, we know that you have equipped us, you've empowered us to be the exact people that they need to continue to be witnesses for you as well, Lord. So Jesus, we trust in you. We give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.